listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Join us each week as we break down an issue in global politics so that you can understand what's going on in the world right now, but also what's likely to happen in the future. Our host, Dr. Keith Souter, is one of Australia's leading commentators on global affairs and geopolitics. My name is Sasha Barbagat. I'm a journalist. Australia's position on the global stage seems pretty solid, but is all as it seems. This week's episode is all about a new book by a former Australian Army intelligence analyst, which looks to challenge the perception of our country's place in the world order and whether we really are independent. Keith, reading the blurb of this book, which is called Sub-Imperial, it seems the author, Clinton Fernandez, really wants to shake up our understanding of Australia. What's his main point? Yes, so I think that this is probably the best introductory book on Australian foreign policy that you could ever hope to read. And, of course, I get to read a lot of them. (laughs) (laughs) Plenty. But a lot of them also are within the same sort of operating paradigm. Foreign affairs is seen as a matter for the Department of Foreign Affairs, Department of Defence, and that's it. This fellow, Clinton Fernandez, who teaches at the University of New South Wales, has put foreign policy in the context of a wider economic policy. And it's a really fascinating approach. So many of the standard books on foreign affairs just stay on foreign affairs and the particular issues. Fernandez is starting out with a big global picture and then narrowing it down to Australian foreign policy. I think it's a very interesting approach that he uses. So he uses his term sub-imperial power. The imperial power is obviously the United States, And we are a sub-power to the United States. We do the US bidding. Mm. And so this is a book to encourage us to ask, is this the right way to always to remain? In other words, being so subservient to the United States. And therefore, we need to be able to think more creatively and more independently to avoid getting dragged into wars like Iraq and Afghanistan. So I think it's a very good introductory book on studying Australian foreign policy. It's a small book, very readable, very well written. Yep, I can see Uh, it there. It's nice and small. (laughs) Nice and small, published by Melbourne University Press. Not at all an academic, boring academic textbook. This was written very much with the view to trying to educate the ordinary person in the street. So, obviously, like you said, the US is the imperial power, Australia is the sub-imperial power in this context. And so the AUKUS agreement is obviously discussed a little bit in this book. What does he have to say about that? Yeah, so he's uh, very wary about the AUKUS deal. So AUKUS, Australia, UK, US deal. We still don't have a definite treaty, by the way, Mm. but it's obviously a defence arrangement between those three countries. The immediate focal point is the creation of submarines. So we're going to be acquiring nuclear-powered, not nuclear-armed submarines, which is in itself a major innovation. There's a very basic question, where are you going to put those submarines? Do you want to have a submarine at the end of your street? No, thank you. (laughs) No, thank you. So that's going to be a problem for the Australian government into the future, where you're actually going to base these ships. So he's looking at AUKUS also from a wider perspective about the way in which it means that the UK and Australia are becoming these sub-imperial powers. We're carrying out the views of the Americans. And if you follow the Americans, you end up getting defeated in a war. That's the really the basic issue, particularly since 1945. For me, it's fascinating that the politics behind AUKUS, 
the AUKUS deal was announced suddenly, right out of the blue, no prior leaks. Brilliant security, I've got to say. Just suddenly in a, from us at Channel 7, we were told at 9 o'clock the previous night, get ready for a major announcement. I was in the studio getting ready for whatever that <laughs> for announcement whatever was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> and then you suddenly end up with Biden, the your American president, the British prime minister at the time, Boris Johnson, and the Australian prime minister at the time, Scott Morrison, none of whom mentioned China, but all talked about China. Mm-hmm. Because clearly the AUKUS deal is about encircling China still further. And we're getting ready perhaps for some sort of conflict with China. That, that's the risk that we run. But what I find fascinating is that this also, in terms of domestic politics, could have been seen as a wedge issue. It would have appealed to Scott Morrison because it would have split the Labor Party because Labor is always divided between hawks and doves. But instead, the Labor Party, recognising a wedge issue when it's coming towards it, endorsed AUKUS and immediately negated the political impact of AUKUS. The problem for Labor is that they then went on to win the general election and now have to learn to live with the decision that they've made to support AUKUS. So we find ourselves with a foreign minister, Penny Wong, who's traditionally supposed to be on the left, using the language of America, Mm. talking about a rules-based international order. But the problem is the Americans made the rules. So it's not a question of a a rules-based international order that you would expect from an international body like the United Nations. She is parroting the phrases from the Americans in terms of this rules-based international order. And Labor are going to have to live with this decision to support AUKUS well into the future. And we don't know what you know, the long term will be. It's going to be running into billions of dollars to provide submarines. What I find fascinating are members of the defence community who are not necessarily coming out publicly, but are just expressing doubts as to whether we're putting too many eggs in that submarine basket and whether we would be better off with other types of vessels. Mm. So the decision for AUKUS and and nuclear-powered submarines is not unanimous, even within the defence community. There are people with doubts about it. Now, the value of this book by Clinton Fernandez is that it encourages us to look at Australian defence policy in a broader policy of global trade, global economics, and how the way that Australia looks at the world is actually shaped by money rather than some sort of ideology of the defence or foreign affairs departments. With the, you mentioned a bit before about how, you know, we're, you know, the argument in the book is that we're serving America's interests and not our own. I guess, you know, the relationship with America was born out of need, at least from general understanding, is that, you know, we needed a big, powerful ally. Can we exist, can Australia exist being the small country that it is on the world stage without a powerful ally like America? Well, that's the question which doesn't get debated in Australia, right? As I said, when you look at most foreign affairs books, they automatically assume there is a need for a great and powerful friend. And then you, having made that basic assumption, you then go on to write the rest of the book. Mm -hmm. Now, what Fernandez is saying is, well, should we look at this idea of a need for a great and powerful friend? In fact, we are in the quietest corner of the globe. It's much better to be here or even better in New Zealand (laughs) than it is to be in Europe or the Middle East, etc. We ought to be just standing back and asking who are the threats to Australia, where are they going to come from, and how best do Australians deal with those threats? Now, it may well be that we will need to spend more money on defence 
but it'll be in Australia's own immediate self-interest. Why are we bogged down in campaigns in Iraq, for example? Mm. The Iraqis have not done anything to hurt us. On the contrary, they were a great customer for sheep. Right. <laughs> and here we are killing one of our best customers for sheep. Now, it may well be if you disapprove of live sheep exports, then, yeah, you're in favour of wiping out Iraq <laughs> to save the sheep. Yeah. But I think for many ordinary Australians, the Iraqis would be seen more as a trading partner than as a threat. And yet it was perceived as a threat by George Bush Jr. after 9-11. He was focused on Iraq rather than al-Qaeda and the fundamentalist Islamic attack. Saddam Hussein was not a fundamentalist Islamic leader and there was no good relations between him and Osama bin Laden. So if you're going after Osama bin Laden, go after him. Don't go on this diversion through Iraq. And drag Australia with you. And drag Australia, exactly. (laughs) You're listening to Global Truths with Dr Keith Souter and this week we're discussing a new book titled Sub-Imperial. Now I want to go back to the idea of Australia jeopardising vital trade and diplomatic relations by latching on to America. Where else are we seeing that impact? Well, we're seeing it, I think, in the sort of the looming war between the United States and China, which is interesting. At the moment, I'm teaching a course looking at great power rivalry and arms races. And it is interesting that the United States and China are doing things differently. So if you go back to the beginning of World War One, you had there the established power of Great Britain and the rising power, a united Germany. And the power was being manifested through an explosion of uh, the building in naval warships, the dreadnoughts, as the British called them, so these huge battleships. And so the rivalry was very much between countries that are agreeing on which battlefield or sporting field that they should play on, which in this case was the whole issue of naval shipbuilding. Mm. And then, of course, after World War II, you get the arms race between the United States and the Soviet Union. This time round, it's a different type of race because, in a sense, you've got runners, so to speak, on two separate tracks. The Americans are the ones who built up their huge military capacity. They've got a network of bases around the world. They're not even sure how many they do have. It's somewhere between 700 and 900 bases around the world. Wow a global military operation, but they're competing against China, which only has one or two bases around the world, a far smaller defence budget and a far smaller area of operation for military activity, mainly the South China Sea, and a little off the coast of East Africa, which is actually being encouraged because they're there to fight the pirates. The real growth in China is in economic strength. So it's an unusual sort of race. You've got one that's running on a military track, another one that's running on an economics track. Mm. It's not the same type of arms races that we saw, say, between the US and the Soviet Union in the Cold War or between Britain and Germany in the lead-up to World War I. An interesting point this book makes is about the rules-based international order, and you mentioned it yourself. What's the author's views on that? And I guess the thing I found interesting specifically was how the West is highly hypocritical Talk us through that idea. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, we talk about a rules-based order. Now, one of the basic rules of that order is that you don't invade other countries, in which case, how do you explain the invasion of Iraq in 2003? And some of us have been complaining for the last 20 years that that was 
an illegal war. Mm. So the Americans have already overlooked that and they're complaining about the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which also is a violation of the UN Charter, mm. but they've not done anything about their own invasion of Iraq. So there is a lack of consistency. And I think the problem with the Americans at the moment trying to mobilise third world countries, in other words, Latin America, Africa, into supporting the US action in Ukraine is that many of them remember their invasion of Iraq and they're saying, well, why should we complain about Russia invading Ukraine and yet we were not able to complain about your invasion of Iraq? Mm -hmm. So there is a lack of consistency there. The UN Charter itself is quite clear that you shouldn't invade other countries. I guess my, my only thing with that argument is that was 20 years ago and it's that whole thing of two wrongs don't make a right, right? <laughs> so should we not be calling out Russia for invading Ukraine just because America invaded Iraq? Well, I'm, of course, in a good position because I was critical of the American invasion of Iraq and I am critical of the <laughs> Russian invasion of Ukraine. And I think that if you're going to be really following the UN Charter, that's what you need to do. You see, the, the notion of this sub-imperial power gives us an alternative way of looking at the world. So one way of looking at the world is to look at the UN Charter and it says uh, in the UN Charter, Article 2.4, you do not use force or the threat of force in international policy. Very clear, very basic. If you go down the path that Fernandez has identified, this notion of the sub-imperial power, then we are not necessarily following international law. We're simply following up Big Brother, which is the United States. We are a sub-power to that imperial power. Mm. So it is the imperial power that defines reality for us, not the UN Charter, but what the Americans are thinking at that time when they interfere in other people's countries. Are there any criticisms of this book and the arguments it's making? I've not come across criticisms, but I can imagine that it would be criticised by people who are very much committed to the alliance with the United States. Fernandez himself is not hostile to the Americans. Mm. It's just that he's more friendly towards Australia and is saying that Australia should do a lot more to think about its own way of operating and how it sees itself in the world. He doesn't take us into the sort of discussion that we need to have, which is how does Australia therefore defend itself? For example, in the 1930s, Billy Wentworth, who was a conservative, argued with the rise of Japan in the Pacific that Australia should be doing a lot more to defend Australia itself, rather than being a sub-imperial power to the British, mm -hmm. following their wartime priorities if war were to break out. He was saying, look, we need to have Australians who can defend Australia. A bit like the Swiss to this day, with their thinking that everybody, adults, should have rifles at home to invade anybody foolish enough to try to invade Switzerland. <laughs> now, should we have similar defence arrangements in this country? Is it right that we subcontract out our defence to a handful of individuals who go to serve in the defence forces? Or should we do more to make the country ungovernable in the event of a physical invasion of this country. So that requires a different way of thinking about defence. Defence is mainly about equipment. They're not interested in the human side of stuff unless it gets forced on them, such as over the sexual harassment cases or war crimes allegations. Basically, they're interested in tanks and aircraft and submarines, <laughs> right? That, that's what keeps them going. And so we need to have a different type of debate as to how actually we would defend Australia. My view is that we should have a defence force that can defend this country and also carry out international obligations, not become partners in American sideshows like Iraq or Afghanistan, but that we should perhaps carry out 
regional peacekeeping missions as we did in the Solomon Islands. We were there for years, the regional assistance mission to the Solomon Islands, Ramsey, a very successful operation, not publicised because obviously it's successful, therefore you don't get good good news for that. But it was the largest military operation conducted in the South Pacific since World War II. Now, that seems to me to be a very legitimate way of using Australian power, but it was obviously in Australia's interest to have regional security here. And that's the sort of thing that we should be focusing on rather than just traipsing around behind the Americans as to what operation they're going to get involved in next. Yeah, so do you think it'll take a brave person then to start that conversation about our alliance with America? I think it was referred to as unquestioning in some of the literature you sent me about this book. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's just a given. And even the Labor Party, which um, traditionally has a few peace activists in it, have gone along with the need automatically for AUKUS. The debate is where do we place the submarines? <laughs> you Which want we one at the to... end of your street. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. You know, that's what you know, we're already getting into, the details about basing them, the whole problem of crewing them. As I say, I wouldn't want to travel on the Manly Ferry very much. You certainly won't get me one of those submarines. <laughs> Immediately we, we descend into the details. What we need is someone to stand back and say, why do we need to have these submarines in the first place? How do they fit into a bigger vision for Australia's role in the world? And that includes also economic issues as well, trade issues. It seems to me to be weird that we're arming ourselves to go to war against China, who happens to be our biggest customer. Yeah. There seems to be a flaw in the logic there. Mm. Are you going to go to war against China or are you going to make money out of China? What do you want? We're one of the few countries in the world that make money out of China. Most of the countries that trade with China are buying more stuff than they can sell, but not in our case. We're selling at the moment so much by way of raw materials. So there's a flaw in that logic that we're preparing to go to war against our best customer. What we need is a debate on these bigger issues of foreign affairs, not to get submerged in the details, but where are you going to base the submarines? But the bigger issue of why do we need the submarines Are we actually going to war against our best customer? These are the bigger questions, but politicians won't get involved in that. As I say, the Labor Party has endorsed, when it was in opposition, the AUKUS deal, and now it has to live with it. And it's going to cause itself all sorts of problems. We already see that at some of the um, party conferences where the Labor government is being criticised by members of the Labor Party. A very thought-provoking book and conversation. Keith, thank you for your time. Thank you. Global Truths is presented by Dr. Keith Suda and me, Sasha Barber-Gatt. Audio production by Niall Fernandez. Theme and original music by Matt Nikolic.